Judges chapter 6, verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Because when the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Sorry. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but... How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, from an, and from an ephah, a flower, he made a basket without yeast. Sorry, bread without yeast. My eyes are getting older. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Down to verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry around it, then I will know that you save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's get up for Vince reading that scripture. Thank you, brother. (laughs) He, uh, 
I love this. So much of this uh, book that we're uh, in, and Judges, is narrative form. So it's story format. So it's a little bit longer reading than normal. Uh, but I love how Vince read it because you really kind of caught some of the sarcasm and the different things going on. And uh, yeah, so thank you for doing that. Uh, I forgot to say, hey, everybody. My name's Kenny. <laughs> if we haven't met, um, so glad that you're here today. And uh, we are in the book of Judges. And one more thing, because I wasn't in the room and I don't know if Vince said this. But there are two couples here today uh, that are part of our church that the next time we meet together, we'll both be married, each be married. And uh, so Ramiro and Amanda, let's give it up for them. As I like to affectionately call them, Ramanda, right? And uh, Mac and Kristen, where are you guys at? Right here? And... I'm so honored that they both asked me to officiate their weddings, so I have a busy week, and one of those weddings is in Michigan, so we got a big week coming up, and uh, we are, uh, the whole church is just so very excited for, for all of you, and uh, we love you and are excited to celebrate with you and welcome you when you get back from your trips and all that stuff, so um, yeah, so I wanted to mention that. Um, does the name... Connor McGregor mean anything to anyone? Yeah, have you at least? <laughs> Isn't he my brother? <laughs> Fighting Irish, right? Um, you know, maybe if you don't know him, it kind of sounds like a Scottish, like Highlander. You know, there can only be one, Connor McGregor. Um, but no. So if you if you missed what if you missed the month of August, um, there was a big fight at the end of August, and there was a buildup between uh, Floyd Mayweather. And Conor McGregor, and I don't know if anyone saw the videos leading up, but Conor McGregor has a mouth on him, dude. He can just, like, trash talk with the best of them. It was, it was embarrassing. It would make a sailor blush. And we have sailors in our church, and they told me they blushed um, <laughs> when they saw the things that Conor McGregor said. Um, but turns, turns out he lost the fight when it came down to it. I mean, he won $100 million, but... He lost, but he won, you know, but he really lost. And, um, you know, I don't know if you can tell, um, I'm not a fighter, <laughs> right? I'm not, uh, not a fighter. Conor McGregor is not my brother. Um, but I do have some friends that fight, and I've asked them before. Actually, one of them is here. I'm not going to name any names. Um, you know, he was in a fight once where the, the other guy left and was missing a toe. Um, <laughs> True story. Well, I mean, it was still there, but we'll just go into that later. I, I said I'm not going to name any names. Um, but I have, another, I have another friend who fights, and I asked him, you know, I just kind of asked him, like, what's it like, man, when you're in there and you're getting in, like, in a cage, and it's you and the, and the other guy, and, and you're about to go to town. Like, what is that like? And he was, he was honest with me. He's talking about kind of the fear, that, and you can, like, you're, you're trying not to get in your head, but you get in your head, and... And there's a little bit of fear that's kind of uh, going on. And then he said for him, it's like, it's not until he gets that kind of first, uh, like second like time he gets knocked in the head that it's like, vroom. <laughs> he's like, I'm in a fight, <laughs> you know, and this is it, you know. And, and I'm, I'm going for it. I'm not messing around. And uh, that just kind of fascinated me that, think about it, the moment that you realize that you're in a fight. The moment that you realize, oh, we're not joking around here. This is a battle. And uh, I love the story of Gideon that we're going to get into 
part of today. And part of the reason we're talking about uh, Gideon, or one of the things that I want us to draw from it, and I felt the Spirit put on my heart this week as I was preparing, is just that um, we can see in this passage of the Word how to find the courage we need to face the battles in our lives. How many know that you're in a battle? Yeah, See, so some of you know, you're like ready to go. I know what I've been battling already. And then others of you are like, battle? What, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not, I didn't know I was in a fight. <laughs> but, but I would suggest that each, you know, sometimes they come in seasons, but I would say each one of us is probably in some kind of battle, whether it's on the kind of the zoomed out macro level of our society that is just kind of drenched and soaked in fear right now. Anyone notice that? Uh, all you have to do is, you know, flip through your phone or watch the news. Like, you watch the news, and it's all these things that could scare you, and then it goes to commercial, and it's like, I'm going to scare you into being discontent. <laughs> and then you go, and go back to the news, and it's all these other things that could scare you, right? Maybe your battle in that sense is with hopelessness. You know, what, what do I do with this? Whose planet is this? <laughs> What did I kind of grow into here? What's going on? Or maybe your battle is, how can I be a faithful follower of Jesus in the climate that I'm in when I go to work or when I go to school? You know, maybe your battle isn't zoomed out. It's, it's more in your community at the uh, relational level. Maybe, there's, maybe you're fighting right now for your marriage. You know, not just fighting in your marriage, but <laughs> fighting for your marriage. Or maybe there's so much tension in your family that it just feels like it's going to fall apart. And you're fighting for unity. Or maybe when you go to work, it feels like everyone's ganged up on you. Anyone? Or perhaps maybe your battle is even a little bit more personal. Some of you, some of you, I know, some of you I know that your battle is with mental health. And maybe it, was, maybe it was even one day this week that your battle was just to get up out of bed. Right? Or maybe you're battling addictions or you're battling sins that, that keep coming up and you wonder if you're going to be free. Or maybe you're battling doubt right now and you're just battling to believe. But that moment when we realize, I'm in a fight. When we think about how to respond, how do we move from a response of being fearful and getting stuck in our minds to a, to a faith-filled response? How do we move from, from the temptation to be cowardly to, to actually engaging in a courageous way? You, you, we tracking? Well, that's what I want to talk about today, so that's good. And what I want to talk about as we look at Gideon is that we can find the courage uh, to face the battles in our life. When we remember, and, and the message is going to kind of be uh, in these three sections, when we remember the call of God, the reality of, of questioning, and uh, what I'm going to call the boast of the battle, and that'll make more sense in a second. All right, so you guys ready? I'm assuming you're already ready. We're already here. We're already going. Um, I might have a little extra energy because... Oh, I thought I had coffee. Where'd it go? Instead of water, all I've had is coffee, so he's excited, right, for the fight? Oh, yeah, it is hiding over there. 
It'll be okay. Thank you so much, Will Lane. Slow clap. Servant's heart right there. All right. So the call of God. When we meet Gideon in chapter 6, we meet Gideon. He's the hero of our story. And chapter 6, verse 11 says that he's hiding. All right. Sound like a hero? Um, When we find Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And that little phrase gives us a glimpse of the kind of oppression that they were in. Because in that day, you, you would, you know, you would um, harvest the wheat, and then you would have to thresh it, right? So you'd shake it, and the chaff, it would be on a threshing floor, wide open space, and the wind would take the chaff away, and then you'd have the grains, right? Well, because they're under such oppression from the Midianites, because the Midianites are destroying crops, because Israelites have left their homes and are hiding in mountains and caves... We find Gideon, and he's threshing the floor, uh, he's threshing the wheat in a wine press. Uh, sorry, I can't talk right. <laughs> in a wine press, which is kind of carved out of rock, in more of like a hidden space, and that's where he's threshing the wheat, which would have been really uncomfortable and not really effective, but he had to, because he was scared that the Midianites would take their crops. And as Vince read, Israel was in another judges cycle, and he did an amazing sermon on breaking the cycles. If you want to hear that, this is another cycle that we see where Israel had done evil and had turned away from the Lord and worshipped other gods. And, and so God allowed them to, to have what they wanted. And, and the gods that they were serving, the people who served the gods that they were serving, oppressed them. And uh, it was a cruel oppression, so much so that they cried out. We don't know that it's heartfelt repentance. But it says that the oppression was so bad that they cried out in verse 7. And so God sends them a prophet. God reminds them everything that he's done for them. And, but then God makes it a little bit more personal and he approaches Gideon. And I just want to focus on the thing that God says to Gideon, the angel of the Lord. And I know that's, um, there's some debate on what that, uh, who that figure is. Angel means messenger. So I, I can sidestep the debate and say this, this angel speaks for God, right? Um, and he appeared to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God calls the man hiding in a wine press a mighty warrior. You see that? Is God right? Yeah, <laughs> doesn't look like it yet, does it? Right? But, but God calls him a mighty warrior, even though he's in hiding. Because the Bible says that we serve the God who calls things that are not as though they are. Romans 4, 17. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. This is the God who says, let there be. And then there's no option. It is. Do you guys see that? There's not a gap between what God says and comes to pass. And God can call the man who's hiding, who's fearful, who's away from the battle, who's not even woke, 
God can call him a mighty warrior because God knows that the victory in our life ultimately doesn't rest on our shoulders. It rests on his shoulders. Can I get an amen? amen. God can say, I know, what, I, know you look, I know you're hiding from battle. I know you, you look fearful, but I'm calling you a mighty warrior. And may I suggest or maybe remind you today that like Gideon, God is calling you. God is calling you a mighty warrior. If you are here today and you are in Christ, if your faith is in the Lord for your salvation, for your forgiveness, to be reconciled with God, can I remind you that God has a call on your life? And I know there's a unique call. There's unique ways that, that God uses us and, and, and he, he brings us into a vocation and he shapes us for that. But I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the call that God has on every believer. And that when we look in Gideon 6, God, when God calls Gideon, he gives him a promise, an identity, and a mission. God, God uh, Vince read it earlier, but God says, the Lord is with you. And in verse, uh, I believe it's 17, he says, I will be with you. And then he says, mighty warrior. That is who you are. Even though you're in hiding right now and it doesn't look like it, I'm with you and you're a mighty warrior. And in verse uh, 14, he says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God gives him a glorious mission. Something to do that is far beyond himself and the odds are stacked ever so much against him. And yet God says, you're going to do this. This is your mission. Can I remind you today that we have the same promises? That when Jesus came to earth, God in flesh, he was not just another man. He was not just another prophet. But in the beginning was the word like we sang. You know, I, I could hardly even have a sermon after the song service this morning. They just stole my thunder, man. All right? But you were the word in the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. That the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Matthew 1 says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that Jesus, before he left, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Can I remind you today that God has given you a promise to be with you no matter what? To never leave you or forsake you? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Can I remind you that God has given you an identity in Christ? That if you are, if you are in Christ and you're here today and you feel dirty, God says you are clean. I have cleaned you. I have called you. I have taken your sin upon myself and I have given you my righteousness. You're not a nobody. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. You're a mighty warrior in my kingdom. 1 Corinthians 1 says it this way. And you guys, I have to give props to Matt because I gave him like, 20 verses, and he's just going along as I fly through them. 
in out of order. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world, hiding in a wine press, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Can I remind you that you have an identity? First Peter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Come on, somebody. Anyone hearing me today? A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Somebody called you, all right? He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have, past tense, received mercy. And not only has God given you a promise to never leave you or forsake you and given you an identity that goes deeper than any of this world's identity, what anyone else says about you, he's given you a mission. I just read in 1 Corinthians that that you should declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the Great Commission we all talk about. Matthew 28. Therefore, go. Make disciples. You have a mission that you have been called into. And it's only when we begin to remember that. That we're going to tap into the courage that God has for us. Over the battles that I mentioned earlier, I don't know if one of those hit you or not. If it is, be thinking about it and be praying about it and be activating your faith right now during this message. Because it's by remembering that God has called you and that when God says something, it doesn't have to look that way right now, but it's going to come to pass. It's not a maybe. God's not going to forget that he called you. God's not going to forget that he sent you on a mission. God's not going to forget who you are now. Any more than you would forget one of your own kids. Whew. Are we done or can we go more? All right, cool. All right. So when we remember the call of God, and as I'm talking about it right now, I, there's a, one question is, hey, where is the call of God in your life not looking like your situation right now? But I think an, a, a better question is, what are you doing with that call of God? Are you remembering it? Are you coming back to it? Are you standing firm on it? Are you declaring it? Amen. So we first we remember the call of God that he's given us a promise, an identity and a mission. And then. The story shows us that questioning and times of questioning are a real thing that happens. 
So, so what happens in the story? When God comes to Gideon, he gives him a promise. I already said this. Identity, mission. What does Gideon do? Well, um, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> right? It says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me. Um, verse 13. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon basically says, God's clearly not with us or this wouldn't be happening. Anyone ever felt that way? What I'm here to say is it's human and natural to feel that way, but that doesn't make it true. God is with you. Even though bad things happen, even though situations look bleak, even though the odds are stacked, God is with you. If you are holding on to him in faith, God will never, never, never abandon you. Gideon doesn't even know all, all the, the earlier part of the chapter. He doesn't know the whole story. He can't see the cycle. We can see it. Often we question God's presence based on the circumstances that we're going through. All right, so he questioned God's promise. Well, what about next? That should be enough, right? Well, not quite. The Lord says, no, you're going to go and save Israel in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? And then verse 15, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> I love these. So polite, you know, Gideon. Um, pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Right? So then Gideon questions the identity that God has put on him. You guys see that? You're a, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to save Israel with the strength that you have. Right? You're going to be trusting in me, but he says, it's, go with the strength you have, and I'll be with you. I'm the weakest. I'm the weakest one in my weak family who's the weakest in our clan and our weak tribe. Like, you guys see what's going on there? God, I'm not weak. God, I'm not clean. God, I know you said that I'm clean. I know that you said that you, you, you spilled your blood for the forgiveness of my sins, but not this one. This one's too bad. Or God, I know you said that, that I'm your daughter, but I, I don't know how you can feel that way because I don't feel like it's true. All right, so Gideon questions those two things, and then he asks for a sign that the mission um, will be successful, or that it's really the Lord talking to him. Verse 17, if I've now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back. And actually, as Vince read, uh, he asks for two more signs, right? Remember, like, the sign was really good. <laughs> okay, I believe it's you, and then... When it's time to really get into the battle, he asks for another sign and another sign. What am I getting at? I'm saying that there's often a gap. How many know there's often a gap between what God tells us and what we do? 
Yeah? There's often a gap between what God says is true of us and what we believe to be true of us. Between God's call, there's a gap between his call and our courageous response. A lot of times there's a little bit of like, (laughs) are you sure? Okay, okay, you said you're sure. Okay, send me another sign. (laughs) And here's the thing. Questioning is a reality. A lot of times in church circles, we, we are afraid to say the D word, doubt. You guys thought of a different D word? No. We're afraid to say doubt. If someone says, I have doubts, we can shun them. Let them just struggle with their doubts alone. Because this is a walk by faith. But, and doubt is dangerous. I'm getting to that. I'm not saying that. But here's what I'm saying. There are going to be doubts. And the walk of faith, like the Bible says, we see through a glass dimly. We don't know it all. We walk by faith, not by sight. So we have to walk in faith. But faith is not the absence of any doubt. It's overcoming the doubts that we have. It's like the man said to Jesus about healing his daughter. I believe. Help my unbelief. Is that me? That might be me. I I believe. Help my unbelief. So doubts are natural, but doubts can also be dangerous if we give in to them. After all, doubt was at the beginning of the first sin. Doubting God's good, doubting he's got the best interest, my best interest in his heart. Anyone hearing me? And, and questioning is to be expected. And wrestling with God, that's what Israel's name means. One who struggles and wrestles with God. It is a walk of faith. There is going to be questioning. But the questioning becomes a problem when it starts, when you start quitting things in your relationship with God. When when your questioning leads to you quit praying. When your questioning leads you further away from God than closer to God. Because you see that with Gideon. He's questioning a lot. and, And traditionally, we've given Gideon a lot of flack for how much he questioned God. But how many of you can be honest with me (laughs) that you've done the same thing? You know, and sometimes my questioning of God is not because I don't know what he's called me to do, but it's more like procrastinating. Like, like, (sighs) I don't want to step on any toes. Right. But but God, will you please just show me your will? I'm just seeking your will for this one specific thing. God, would you just tell me what to do? But meanwhile, I'm not reading God's word to me. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not reading his words so I can hear his voice when he does speak. I'm not acting on what I already know to do. And yet we can have it under the guise of, well, I'm just seeking the Lord for guidance on that. Whew. I'm preaching myself here. I want you guys to know. Are there ways your doubts are leading you further from God instead of closer to God? Because we see in this story, and we will see, that the, the period of questioning that Gideon went through actually brought him closer to the Lord. And his faith actually grew. And the identity that God gave him actually started to show up in his actions. 
the guy who was hiding. We, next chapter where we're going here, <laughs> he's the mighty warrior that we read about. Is that all right? Are there ways that you might be procrastinating today doing something God's already told you to do? Is that tracking? I want to say this. When God says, I will be with you, he means it. And he means business. At, the, at this point in the story, God's only said that two other times. First time to Moses, I'll be with you. Next thing you know, an entire nation is delivered from slavery in Egypt and miraculously brought out. And then he says it to Joshua. I will be with you. Next thing you know, an entire nation moves into the land that God promised them centuries earlier. And now God says, I will be with you. If God is with you, be bold. Be courageous. It's like Jesus said on the disciples in the boat when he walked on the water, do not be afraid, it is I. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Amen? So we remember the call of God on our lives. We remember that, that questioning can actually lead us closer to him. And we remember uh, the boast of the battle. So at this point in the story, Gideon's faith is growing. He's had a sign. He asks for the other two signs with the fleece and the water and the dew. And, uh, but now he's finally ready to follow, um, follow God with faith in the battle. But he's kind of tested God a little bit <laughs> with all these signs. And what we see in chapter 7 is uh, God almost kind of tests him a little bit too. Right? So Gideon's ready for battle. God has confirmed it with uh, three signs. Right? Two, two, two immediate signs. God's confirmed it. And then Gideon's ready to go fight the Midianites, which uh, presumably have a huge army that's worth being scared of. And, and God says, um, you have too many soldiers. <laughs> Said no military like handbook ever. <laughs> like, your fighting force is too strong. We're going to need to weaken that um, before the battle. Um, so, so and, and you can read this. I... I, my hope in preaching today is to, to, that you would desire more to read this, not less. So I'm not going to tell you the whole story. If you want to know more, go read it. All right? Plug for Bible reading. Amen. All right? But, but what happens is, he says, you have, you have too many soldiers. You need fewer. Go and tell all of them. If anyone's just terrified, shaking in their boots, you can go home. Right? So Gideon tells that to his army of 32,000 men. His 22,000 of them leave. Maybe that's a good thing, right? Because <laughs> um, they probably would have retreated, right? Anyways, so now he's got 10,000, right? And, you know, we're thinking, okay, we can still do this, maybe, right? But then God says, no, you still have too many soldiers. And so there's a process of him weeding them out, and the Lord tells him which ones 
to send home, and he sends home 9,700 more. So now we have the original 300, right? Gideon has 300 soldiers. The rest God has told him to send home. More than 99% of his army he has sent away. But also notice, he's actually following God step by step. Are you seeing that? His faith has grown. And he's thinking, still, I'm sure he's thinking, how are we going to do this, right? And, and there's another story that I can't tell all the details of, but God, even in his questioning, continues to pour grace upon grace because he assures him, right? He sends him down. He's like, hey, if you want to know, I'm going to give you the victory. Go down and listen to the enemy's camp. And he goes to the enemy's camp and he hears two people talking and they had a dream. And one guy says, I had a dream. It was terrible. A loaf of bread. That's the beginning of the dream. Rolled down the hill and fell into our tent and knocked our tent over. First of all, I want you to think, how unlikely is that? (laughs) Some of you may have not been camping. I've been camping a lot. I've never been worried about a loaf of bread. (laughs) Knocking my tent over. Right? But the other one says to him, this must be the sword of Gideon. God has given the battle into his hands. And then when Gideon hears that, he's affirmed once more. And it says he worships the Lord and then he runs back and he gives them this crazy plan. We've got 300 guys against presumably thousands. Here's what we're going to do. Take a clay pot. What? (laughs) Take a clay pot. Um, Yeah, no, put your sword down. Yeah, take this clay pot and take a trumpet. All right. And uh, this is what we're going to go into battle with, guys. Um, have faith. <laughs> and uh, that's what happens. Um, so they go in, they split into three groups, and they have these clay jars. And, and uh, on Gideon's command, they break the jars with the, the candle, like the light inside, right? So it makes a sound, and, and it's nighttime, and it's the changing of the guards in the enemy's camp. And they... they hear the sound, and they see the fire, and then they blow trumpets. And so they're, they're making this, themselves appear much bigger than they are. And if you study it, they say, actually, this plan was ingenious because at the changing of the guard, a third of the soldiers would be sleeping, a third would be coming back in from guard, and a third would be getting out of their tents and going. Right? You imagine it's really dark, and 300 clay pots break, and there's fire, and there's trumpets, and there's armed men next to your tent. Do you think you're going to believe them if they say, no, I'm on your side? Is, it, is that making sense? Right? They fought each other, and they won, or they lost. Right? <laughs> no, they, they fought each other, and they lost, right? And, and, and at the end of the passage, Judges 7.25, it says that the Israelites chased them down, and they caught the two leaders of the Midianites. And it says that they... Um, that when they seized them, they captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, great names. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Do you see the full circle right there? Do you see that God found Gideon hiding in a winepress? And yet he made his place of hiding his place of victory? Anyone else see that? Does that mean anything? 
God wants to redeem that place where you've been hiding, and he wants to show you that he is going to be victorious in that area. The place of a rock where the angel confirmed to him, I will be with you, this is God. The place where he was questioning became a place where they had courage. And all of that, it's an amazing story, and I, 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 I've got to speed up because I've got to finish. But why did God do it that way? Why did God do it that way? Chapter 7, verse 3 gives us a clue. He says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. God had them in that situation and made them go into battle at such a disadvantage so that they would know there's no way I did this for myself. It is only by the gift and the grace and the power of Almighty God that I have been saved today. And what we can learn from this passage is boasting is still one of the greatest spiritual threats to our own souls. Ephesians 2 says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We say this all the time. The burden is God's and the blessing is ours. And he will make us victorious in battle so that we can sing his praises and glorify him. Amen. He will come through on his promise for you. He will come through on the identity he's given you. And he will come through on the glorious mission that he's given us. He will make something beautiful out of your life as as depressing and dark and hopeless and despairing as it may seem right now. Amen? Anyone experience that? Anyone thankful for that? 1 Corinthians 1, I, I read it before, but there's part of it I want to say again. Verse 27 through 31. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, verse 29, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We need to remember that the boast of the battles in our life go to God. And we need to be constantly reminded because how many times has God come through in your life? And yet how many times do I forget and act like, yeah, come on, I got an amen corner right here. Every time and every time. Right? Now I need to be reminded. 
How many times do I forget that he already came through? He already proved true to his promises. And he'll do it again. I need to be reminded that the place where I'm hiding, the place that is so broken I don't even want to share it and open it up with anyone, is the place that God is going to bring victory. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. God has called you a mighty warrior. And how are we ultimately encouraged today? As you think about your battle, as you've been holding that in your mind and praying about that, and I know I'm coming to a close right now. We think of Gideon's example that he heard the call of God and he questioned it, but his faith grew and he eventually had the courage to go into battle. And we see him as a mighty warrior, but um, it gives us strength, it gives us encouragement, but also leaves us wanting. And if you keep reading, like Gideon's not perfect, he messes up in the coming chapters. He's not going to be our ultimate hero. And if we just come to the story and say, I want to be like Gideon, we're going to fall short and we're going to disappoint even ourselves. Gideon's a great example, but we need more than a great example. We need one better than Gideon. We don't need just an example. We need a savior. We need one who is better than Gideon. We need Jesus who perfectly followed God's call. Who believed God's promises when he said, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. Before Jesus did a miracle or started teaching or did anything noteworthy, he had an identity and he held on to that identity. And he fulfilled his mission. We need one who has faith when we doubt. He questioned in the garden and said, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass. He asked for that sign, but God didn't give him that sign that, that he would crush his enemies, but rather that he would be crushed for our sake. And yet he was courageous and still went for you and for me. We need Jesus who fights our battles for us, sin and death and hell. And when he died on the cross, he defeated our greatest enemies and he put death to death forever. And he gave his life as a sacrifice on the rocky hill of Golgotha. And he let his blood be poured out. And we remember it with wine. That's who we need. We need Jesus who fills us with his spirit and encourages us and reminds us that we can face the battles in our life with courage. We can boast in our weaknesses like Paul, even though we ask for them to be taken away. And eventually the Lord says, my strength is made perfect or showed most clearly in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. I will boast in my afflictions, in my persecutions. Because when I am weak, then I am made strong. We can remember that Jesus has already won our biggest battle and has promised us to never leave us or forsake us. And the one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. He who began a work in you 
will complete it. That Jesus was a mighty warrior greater than Gideon on your behalf and calls you a mighty warrior now. Amen? So as we close, may you remember God's call on your life today. And if you do not have your, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus and if hope is rising in your heart right now, I, I, I challenge you to place your faith in Jesus today. To turn away from sin, which is just rebellion against God and doing life your own way and deciding for yourself what is right and turn towards God and say, Jesus, I need a savior. I need you to save my life. And I believe that you died and rose again to do that. May you remember God's call in your life. May the questioning, if you're in a questioning season right now, may it lead you closer to God and not further away. May you remember all the battles that God has brought you through. And may you remember to boast in the Lord. And may we, instead of a people of fear, be a people of faith. Instead of facing the battles that all of us have. Instead of cowering. May we be courageous in the Lord. Because the Lord is with you. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, um, just for your word today. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the sense that you are here right now. Thank you for your word that you give us for teaching and for correction and for rebuke, Lord, and for encouragement. And I pray today that your word would do its work on each one of us, Lord. I know that many here today may have just had a horrible week. And maybe a few, it's been much longer than a week that's just been battle after battle after battle. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would all be reminded in an intimate way of the call that you have placed on us, God. We are reminded that you keep your promises, that your word is true, that you speak to things that are not as though they were, and they have no choice. You said, let there be, and there was. Lord, may you have your way in our lives. May our lives be marked, even if we're going into battles where we are outnumbered, where the odds are stacked against us, may we be marked by courage. Lord, courage and faith in you. Lord, we pray these things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.